Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Peckville Assembly of God podcast. We're so glad you're here. Now, welcome Pastor Terry Drost with today's message. We've been in this study on Acts. We've actually, this is our third book uh, this, uh, this year. It's hard to believe we're in the final quarter of the year, isn't it? If you don't have uh, your Bible, they'll put it up on the screen, I'm sure. Uh, I'm actually, I think I'm going to just recap for a little bit, if that's okay with you. Just going to take a minute tonight uh, and tell you where we've kind of been. And we, uh, on Wednesday night, especially, we kind of team teach. You know, we've been doing some of that on Sunday morning, uh, and which is great. Um, a lot of times on Wednesday night, um, it's good to be able to take in a sermon and not have to worry about uh, putting together a Bible study because uh, it's just one of the ways we learn, right? So in Acts 1... You know, I'll just, I'll just recap here for a moment. Acts 1, uh, you know, Acts was written by, uh, who knows who wrote the book of Acts? Anybody? Who? Luke who? What was his last name? Thompson? Luke Christian. <laughs> Luke Christian. Okay, all right. Well, praise God. <laughs> Luke, uh, Luke was, uh, and what was his occupation? What was it? Physician. Dr. Luke, yeah. So he was a medical doctor. Jesus said, physician, heal thyself, right? So uh, he wrote the Gospel of Luke, as we know it. And then uh, the next book was uh, the Acts of the Apostles. And so uh, in the first chapter, uh, you know, uh, you know he, he actually starts that out. He says, in my former book, see that, uh, Theopolis, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So he's speaking, obviously, of Jesus here. On one occasion, he was eating with them, and he gave them this command. Do not leave the city of Jerusalem until what? Anybody know? Until what? Until you've been what? Okay. Wait for my... Listen to what he says. Do not leave... He was, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father had promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized you with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Amen? And so we talked about that, the need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Can you say amen? Amen. So baptized in water, yes. First command after salvation, we're to be baptized in water. If you haven't been baptized in water, it's not coming from guilt. This isn't coming from judgment. But I exhort you, as Paul uh, says many times in the New Testament, I would encourage you this evening, or if you're watching out there on the stream, to be baptized. You know, And if you were baptized when you were a baby or something like that, um, I've had many times we have people say, well, can I, be, can I be re-baptized? Can I be baptized again? I would say to you, yes, absolutely. Baptism always follows Salvation. How many know that's biblical, what I'm saying right there? Okay. Always follows. So it's hard for an infant baby because they don't even know how to speak yet. Does it make sense? Okay. So I won't go too far down that pike, but that's just a matter of, of biblical fact. Okay. So, um, so Acts chapter 1, you know, you know, it's not for you to know the times Jesus said. Don't worry about that. But stay in wait in the city of Jerusalem until you've received the promised Holy Spirit. So Jesus had to leave so they could receive, right? So we talked about that. We spent a couple of weeks actually on Acts 1. And then, uh, you know, uh, 
And I talked to you about Acts chapter 2, which is I'm going to spend a little bit more time there tonight. But in the beginning part, first 13 verses or so, I mean, the church was born. It was born in fire. Amen? We have, we've been having, a, 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 in our family, just a little personal story, we've been having a lot of uh, babies being born lately. I think we should open up our own daycare center. How about it, right? Okay. Uh, and so we have, uh, I told somebody this evening, we have five grandchildren, and, uh, and we have number six is due November 30th. So three boys and three girls. How many know it's really exciting when you're in the hospital and somebody in your, in your family is about to give birth? How many of you have been in those places, right? And uh, it's very exciting when, when they're gonna, there's going to be a new addition to the family, right? Well, the church was born... On the day of Pentecost. You know, the Bible says that when the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, had fully come, after they, had, they were praying, they were seeking God, there was 120 in the upper room. Where's the upper room? It's literally located geographically in the center of the city of Jerusalem, over the tomb of King David. It was Pentecost. It was the Feast of Pentecost. What does Pentecost literally mean? The word. Uh, it's not something to get weirded out or scared over. Some people get like all spooked out when you say Pentecost or I'm Pentecostal. They're like, oh my gosh, no, it's scary. Anybody know what the definition of Pentecost means? Not the feast, but the actual word. Anybody? 50, that's right, 5-0. So if I say 50, would you go boo and be scared? <laughs> no, of course not, right? So it's Pentecost. The Pentecost means 50. So it was, a, it was a feast, post barley. I could get into all that. But just saying like it's a time of celebration in the city. And the church was praying. They were seeking God. Jesus had already bodily resurrected and ascended to the Father. And what happened? The Holy Spirit, the Bible said, what, what suddenly a sound like a rushing mighty wind entered the room. Can you imagine if we were just praying tonight, like before we were singing that, you are the Lord, where we singing the famous one, great is your name. And all of a sudden we heard a wind like a freight train come through the room. How many know it, it, it would get your attention? Amen. And it said, and I watch this, then it said, and what appeared to be what? Cloven tongues of fire. So it doesn't mean like, you know, it was an actual tongue of fire, but it was what appeared to be. Are you ready? Are you hearing what I'm saying? So, you know, if you had one over your own head, how many know you won't be able to see it? Because you'd be looking up like this and you could see it on the other people's above their head. Okay. But what happened? Then they began to speak with other tongues. The Bible says as the spirit gave them utterance. Amen. And so uh, we talked about... uh, in Acts 2, about three areas of the church. And I'll just give you this again, recap. It was about the power of God that came through Pentecost. Amen? How many of you believe we need the power of God today? Amen. Oh, my friend. I don't know. I, would, I wouldn't want to preach another sermon without the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I wouldn't want to pray for another person. I wouldn't want to sing another song or minister to people in any way without the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And, you know, and just... Never mind being a pastor, just as a man today in the world we're living. Uh, I don't know what people do without the Holy Spirit. Now, we had a, we had a, a Monday morning, we had, a, uh, we had to bury a little baby that only lived a few hours. John and Holly DeCanny, who come and worship here, they drive over an hour and a half every Sunday. And many times they were here on Wednesday evenings with their family, with two boys. Uh, she had a a little girl who died uh, and shortly after she was born. And, you know, to, to, to do that funeral, and I just, I don't know how else to say it to you, in the natural, if you were just in the flesh, in the natural realm, how many understand it's incredibly draining? 
I, I can't really put the fully into words. Um, I guess you'd almost have to do that to be able to understand it. But how many understand it's the anointing of God that makes a difference? And so when you go there under the unction and the, the leading of the Holy Spirit, the, the fire of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, just like the first church had, uh, you know, you can, you can, not only will you survive, you'll thrive. And so what we do is we use those as an opportunity to call people back to uh, repentance, back to faith in Christ. Amen? And we saw people at that graveside, and there was a good number there uh, Monday out in the Poconos, um, and we saw people raise their hand and respond to salvation. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Amen? The Bible says, you say, where do you get that from? The Bible says, no man can come to God the Father except the Spirit draw him. Amen? And so that's why when we pray for people, we should really be praying through a biblical means and say, God, would you draw that person to the Father, to the Son, by the power of your Spirit? Does that make sense? You know, it's not, it's not us trying to convince somebody in the natural. Hello? So this is what the first church is, the power. It was born, like that excitement of a, of a baby being born. The first church was born in the power of God. And then I talked to you about the purpose of the, of the church. What is the purpose? To be what? Uh, pew sitters, right? Is that what we're called to be? No? The power you shall receive, power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall be my what? Well, that's the whole purpose of the church. Worship of God and witness. We'll get there in just a moment, okay? So when the power came, it gave them the power to be a witness. It was like the light got cut on, got turned on. And so, and then, you know, then the plan, uh, the plan of God, following the plan of God. So, you know, church multiplication, the spread of the gospel. You know, how is it that God multiplies? Here's what I want to focus on tonight. Uh, we're going to go from Acts 2, let's get on to like verse 13. I believe that's where you left off, right? 13. And, uh, and then we're going to get into Peter's uh, sermon here in just a minute. In fact, it'd be great if I had a couple people like to read tonight. Anybody want to read out loud? How many of you like to stand up in front of people and give, a, and, and give a long speech? Anybody? It would be terrible if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit. Amen? <laughs> That's it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anybody, anybody want to volunteer to read a few scriptures tonight? Sue? Uh, how about reading uh, Acts 2, verses uh, 13 through... Uh, um, let's go to 15, okay? And then, uh, let me see here. Um, how about somebody else read verses, uh, i just give you two verses, verses 23 and 36 of Acts chapter 2. Anybody want that one, Patty? Okay, great. All right. And then, uh, yeah, we'll just go with that for right now. All right, so if you're ready, go ahead. So Peter stands up, right, raises his voice. He's got with the other 11. And, uh, you know, and of course, what happens? The crowd thinks that they're all intoxicated. And he says, look, it's the third hour of the day. What time is that? Anybody know? Quick, 9 a.m., 9 o'clock in the morning. And, you know, he basically could have said there's not enough pop skull wine in all of Jerusalem at 9 o'clock in the morning to be drunk. Okay, there's not enough Thunderbird wine or anything like that. But they actually thought they were by the way they were uh, acting. And so, uh, but what it wasn't acting, it was the Holy Spirit, and they were speaking in other tongues, and they were actually speaking the actual languages of the people that were there from all the different nations of the world. Again, this is the beginning, the birth 
of the church. And so, um, you know, these men, let me say this, these men were not exactly known for their spines of steel, these, this first church. Uh, think about the difference the Holy Spirit makes. Peter, right, he, was, he denied Jesus how many times? Three times, that's right. Uh, he denied him. He was with Jesus. He was one of the, uh, you know, he had 12 disciples originally, uh, and then it got down to 11 when uh, Judas hung himself. Um, and uh, so there were 12 originally who traveled with Jesus on foot for three and a half years, and then inside the 12, there were three, right? Peter, James, and John. And then John was uh, the one that Jesus held close to. His, he was John the Beloved. But Peter, you know, Peter's this guy that, he says just a few verses before in the Gospels, Lord, I'll never deny you. I'll never deny you. And how many know exactly what he did was deny Jesus? So he really put, took on the role of a coward, right? I mean, he was with Jesus as long as everything was going good. Do you ever have any friends like that in your life? They're with you as long as everything's going good. But the minute that there's some sort of drama, some sort of trouble, and in this case, the mockery of the trial, six, if you add them up in Scripture, I mean, he's arrested, he's beaten, he's brought before Pilate. I mean, there's all this stuff going on the passion of the Christ, we would call it, in today's terms. And Peter took off in the garden like they all did, you know, and fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah, you know, strike the shepherd and the sheep will what? Scatter. That's what the word says. And so what happens? What happens? Peter denies Jesus three times. And just what Jesus prophesied, I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows three times, you'll deny me. So Peter basically is, is a coward. He's in hiding. He's afraid for his own life. I mean, they're going to kill his best friend who they believe was the Messiah and going to deliver God's people and all the stuff from the tyranny of Rome. And now Peter gets a, one touch of the Holy Spirit. And now how many know, and the other 11 in the upper room out of 120. And what happens? He goes from a coward to a flaming evangelist. Can you say praise God? That's what the Holy Spirit does. It gives us a boldness you know, where do I get that from? Acts chapter 4, the Bible said, after they had prayed. So obviously prayer is a prerequisite to these things, amen? If you're, it's, there's an assumption that you're praying if you're a Christian, if you consider yourself a Christian. And so after they had prayed, the Bible said that suddenly the whole place was shaken again. And there were more added to the church. So there, there's just a lot of fruit that comes out of these things. So, so you know, I just want to say this to you. Uh, you know, that festival, <laughs> Pentecost would probably be like in our modern-day vernacular today, would kind of be like Mardi Gras, okay? Uh, I've never been to Mardi Gras, but I hear it's, it's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty hellish, actually. There's a big, it's like open debauchery, okay? I walked down Bourbon Street back in uh, March of this year, or April. Had, uh, we were at a conference, and we went there, and you literally could feel the oppression there at nighttime. We were going down there for a meal. There's a lot of great places to eat on Bourbon Street. You literally could feel the demonic oppression there. And so, you know, I would be, really, I would be afraid to walk down that street at night without the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? So this is what came on Peter. This boldness goes from a coward to, to uh, you know, from someone who didn't really have a spine to now he's a flaming evangelist. And it doesn't even matter what people think. He's going to speak the truth. Amen. So, you know, a couple things we get out of that. I would say, number one, like, oh, God meets us where we are. Aren't you glad God meets us where we are at? Amen? We don't have to get to a place of perfection before somehow God's going to look our way. Um, you know, do you remember where you were when God met you? 
How many of you remember where you were when you gave your heart to the Lord? Amen? You know, for some of us here, uh, anybody want to say where they were? What, what, what location or what, what was going on? Anybody? Tonight, just family. Living in the streets. Praise God. Praise God. Hey, Amen. That's a great testimony. Somebody else? Remember where you were? Eli? Praise God. Right here at the altars as a young teenager. Praise God. In church. Praise God. God got a hold of you. Amen. Holy Spirit got a hold of got a hold of us, right? Anybody else remember where you were? Kenny? Wow. Wow. Was it uh, like a drama or was it the uh, oh, it was a drama the passion of the Christ, yeah. Yeah. Praise God. How many remember that movie, The Passion of the Christ? Remember when that came out, Mel Gibson? Wasn't that, how many, that was like, a, that was like you know, there's waves of the Spirit. How many of you understand that? You know, you know that analogy, like I was in Hawaii years ago on a missions trip. Great place to go on a missions trip, Hawaii, by the way, <laughs> with our friend Jonathan Shuttlesworth, 2009, 10, something like that, 10 years ago probably. Becky and I, we had a group over there. We were with a group. And if you go to Hawaii, you'll see surfers, they kind of wade in the water with their surfboard. And what they do, and I mean, they're out there early in the morning, like 7 a.m., and they're waiting for the waves. And when the waves come, what do they do? They get up on their surfboard, and you see them come in. I mean, they're, they're experts at it. They're natives. They're like water bugs. I mean, they just, there's also waves in the body of Christ. That was one of them. The passion of the Christ was a definite wave. How many of you remember sitting in that theater and just, I, I remember sitting in that theater in 2004. We ran like, th- we took like three school buses full of people down there. And, and I remember sitting there and just like hot tears dripping down my face and saying, I did that. Amen. It wasn't the Jews. It wasn't the Romans. It was me. It was all of us. Amen. So God meets us where we're at. And I'm going to say this to you. God also tells us the truth about ourselves. Aren't you glad he tells us the truth, what's really going on with us? And we, that's what the Holy Spirit, he reveals those things to us, you know. And, and uh, you, know, you know, Peter, he's preaching this, and he, he's, he's got this massive crowd. He stands up the day of Pentecost, this flaming evangelist. He's got touched by the fire of God, and it's just coming out. And if you look at verse, uh, did I give somebody verse 23 and, and 36? Patty, go ahead and read that. So Peter's saying, you know, you killed Jesus, right? He's saying this, you killed Jesus. He's literally standing over the top of the tomb of King David. If you go to Israel with us in February, I hope you'll go. We have a nice group going. We have still a couple of people kind of on the fence about it. One of the things you'll see uh, is the tomb of King David. You say, where's David's body? Where's it? It's in Jerusalem. It's literally right underneath the upper room. And it's quite a, it's, a, it's what they call a holy site. Um, and when you go to, if you go to King David's tomb, you can't just come walking in there. There's a big line, and you actually have to put a yarmulke on out of respect of their culture and their customs. And so we do that, not because we're Jewish, but out of respect. Amen? And when in Rome, do as the Romans do, okay? And don't, you know, don't get all crazy. I'm free from all that. Listen, the only way that we'll ever reach uh, God's chosen people is through prayer by the Spirit coming and drawing them. 
and through love. Amen? And don't, get, don't major in the minors. So sometimes people get a little nutty with that stuff. So you put a, you put a yarmulke on and you, go on and you literally can see the tomb of David. And you'll go in there and you'll see Hasidic Jews who are literally rocking back and forth in their Hebrew tongue as we're sitting here around 24-7 around the clock. And so Peter, when he's preaching this, he's literally up over that out on, in my mind, I'm picturing him almost like out on a veranda of the upper room. Because, look, to speak to thousands of people, you couldn't be inside the room. Does it make sense? They didn't have lapel mics back then, okay? <laughs> and so, uh, you know, he didn't, rent a, he didn't rent a stadium, okay? He didn't get permits. He didn't get a worship band. I mean, nothing wrong with that. But this was, the, this was brand new. This was the fire God had been imparted. And now they're communicating the heart of Father God for his people. And again, so God meets us where we're at. And then he tells us the truth about ourselves. Aren't you glad that when you came to God, when he met you where you were, on the streets, you know, in a, in a, a passion play, you know, where, those places, wherever you were when that happened to you, that God came and he, and he told us the truth about ourselves, that we're in need of a Savior. Amen? And so, you know, you know, and Peter, you know, you killed Jesus and all this, but really it's, there's prescriptive and descriptive. I won't get into all that right now, but, you know... Um, he basically says it's for all of us. And where do I get that from? Romans 3.23, right? If you know the Roman road or not, it says, how many have sinned? How many? All means what? Right. So every one of us has sinned. We've all blown it. It doesn't matter how well you know, put together we might look. On the outside, we've all fallen way short of the glory of God, right? That's you, that's me. And... Uh, so, you know, Peter's calling it what it is, you know. And, uh, I mean, Romans 3.25 says, Whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. That's Romans 3.25, if you're taking notes. Uh, it means pacifying wrath by taking care of the penalty that causes judgment. Um, Christ paid the price that he didn't have to pay. Aren't you thankful for that? That's what's called grace, right? What is grace? Unmerited favor. Um, he offered grace to us when we really deserve judgment and took our place on the cross. And so, um, you know, if, if God didn't tell us the truth, if he just always looked at us and said, man, you're awesome, you're just, you're wonderful. How many know that we probably would get puffed up and full of pride, Right? If there, and and I, what I'm seeing today, and I don't know if, if you agree with me or not, but we're seeing a lot of preaching now that there, it's almost like uh, there's almost no sting to it anymore. Does that make sense? There should be something that makes us kind of lean in and say, you know what, like, I, I got to do better in my life. I, I, I need the grace of God. I, I need the power, the empowerment of, the, of a spirit-filled life to live and to breathe my being and do what I'm supposed to do. Amen. And, uh, and so, you know, I commend you guys. That's what brought some of you here tonight, actually, because there's something in us. It's like, man, I, I, I need to get back closer to the Lord. You know, I was with somebody today, and they said, I feel like I've lived my life like I'm, I'm with the Lord, and I'm, then I'm regressing. I, went, I said, well, don't quit. The final chapter has not been written of your life story yet. Amen? And so Christ paid the price propitiation. Try to say that eight times real fast. <laughs> Someone one time said, you're never more free than when you have no more secrets. Isn't that good? 
late Leonard Ravenhill was a master of prayer. He used to say, who you really are is who you are when no one's watching. In the dark, when you're by yourself. You know, we can come here on Sunday. We could all look like we're just on fire for the Lord, right? I mean, we could play the part, but the truth is, who are we when we walk out of here? And that's where we need God. We need his, his love and his, his grace to be poured out. I don't know about you, but I need it poured out on me every single day. God shows up and, you know, and he says, you're busted. And it offends people today. In this, uh, you know, kind of thin-skinned culture, I'm finding there's, you know, I'm not criticizing. I'm just saying what appears to me is that a lot of preachers are backing off from the truth of the word and, and heading to total, total grace, you know, where it's just all grace. I understand it is all grace, but how many know that there's truth also involved? Amen? There's truth on one the furthest end of the spectrum, the, other, the furthest end here is grace. Christ was right in the middle. The real question is, where are you? None of us are in the middle. Some of us are a little more truth tellers. Some are a little more grace givers. But what we all need to strive for is to be at that plumb line of the cross. Amen? So, you know, and he also doesn't tell us who, but then he, he, he offers them a new life. And we see that uh, in Acts uh, 2.29. He says, men and brethren, this is Peter again speaking. He said, let me speak freely to you. And, and, you know, Patty read of the patriarch David, who's both dead and buried. His tomb is with us today. So geographically, it's right there. Therefore, being a prophet, knowing that God had sworn an oath to him, the fruit of his body, et cetera, et cetera. So Christus victus means Christ's victory over the grave is our victory over the grave. Amen? Imputed righteousness. What does that mean? It means Christ's perfect obedience is our obedience. Where do I get that from? 2 Corinthians, you still with me? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. But we sing that song, Jesus Messiah, and it's probably easier for us uh, maybe to remember songs. Like some of us learn the alphabet by singing those songs, right? Uh, But the, the old Chris Tomlin, he says that that song, if you remember that, Jesus Messiah. He became sin. Who knew no sin that we might become his righteousness? He humbled himself and he carried the cross. Love so amazing, love so amazing, yeah. Jesus Messiah, name above all names. Blessed Redeemer, Emmanuel, the rescue for sinners, the ransom from heaven, Jesus Messiah, Lord of Where does that come from? That verse I just read you. <laughs> but if I ask you to quote 2 Corinthians 5.21, you're like, I don't know. Help me out, Pastor. And it's, just remember, Jesus Messiah, that's what he's saying. He said, for he, Paul writing to the church of Corinth, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In, in who? In Christ Jesus. Amen? Praise God. So, and then, and then I'm going to say this to you. Lastly, his sermon, that sermon in Acts 2, it forces a response from us. It forces us to 
to respond to the gospel. Let me tell you, a non-decision is a decision not to serve God. Are you hearing what I'm saying tonight? A non-decision is an absolute decision not to serve God, not to receive the free gift of salvation. the, The price was already paid. Why anybody would not want that gift of eternal life is beyond me. They obviously couldn't understand what Christ did for them. And so, you know, the Bible says, and if you look at verse 37 in Acts 2, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, I guess. And Peter said, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? In other words, how, should we, how do we respond? You told us this, but what shall we do now? Can I tell you, just as a sidebar, this is why we give altar calls in this church. As I don't know, and you don't know, only the Lord himself knows if this is your last service here. You say, have you seen people in a meeting like this, and they've left, and you got a call in the middle of the night that they dropped dead? Yes. Multiple times. It's no joke, folks. This life is very, very, very uncertain. I'm not trying to scare anybody, but how many, know, how many ever got a phone call like that? You were shocked. You're like, I was just with the person. So I give an altar call, not through guilt, but out of love, to say, man, let's, you know, let's make sure, folks, loved ones, I love you enough to tell you the truth. That, and this is what they're saying. To me, what shall we do? This Jesus went all the way to the cross and we crucified him. Now what? What's our natural response to this? Amen. It forces a response. Again, a non-response is, is a response. And, uh, and so Peter says, and here it is, verse 38. You know this, Acts 2.38. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins that you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, everybody say promise. Who's the promise for? You, your children, and for all who are far off. Amen? Let me tell you what I do with that. All who are far off. That to me, is a, one of the meanings of that is people that are far off from the Lord. How many believe we can call them in by the Holy Spirit? Amen? So don't ever quit praying for somebody. No matter how, and I don't know what it is about, sometimes it's like we, it's easier to have faith for people we don't know than for people we do know. Have you found this to be true? Anybody have a, a relative like that? Yeah, if we're not careful, we give up on people. Don't ever give up. As long as they're breathing, there's still hope. Amen? Aren't you glad that God didn't give up on you? Yes. I sure am. Amen. Hmm. So it brings us to that, you know. And so... Uh, and then, uh, and then verse 40, God will not be mocked. And then, now I'll say this. This is the last thing I want to talk to you about before we close here. He invites them into a new community of faith. Isn't that beautiful? So Peter says, repent, be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of your sins. Okay? So come, to, come home to Jesus is what he's saying. You know, you know, come home. He's given an altar call. The Bible said, well, how many was added to the church after that sermon? 3,000 3, people, 120 in the upper room, 3,000 people added to the church in one instant. How many know that's a mega church, okay? <laughs> and, so, and so this is what you call exponential growth. One altar call, one touch of God, and 3,000 people are called 
and saved, and they become part of the very first church. I'd say that's, that's start off with a bang, wouldn't you? You imagine starting a church, you know, I mean, we got some great things planned for 2020, folks. My heart's so full, I'm so tempted to, to just let the cat out of the bag, but I can't tell you, but wouldn't it be amazing if we started a church and 3,000 people were added the very first day? How many know that would probably make, uh, you know, Christianity today or charisma one of them, okay? <laughs> Maybe even the world news, I don't know, you know. But this is what happened when Peter simply preached under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit today, too. Amen? And so let me just give you this. There's five vital components to a biblical church. This is what I just want to share with you. And they're found. If you say, what should a church look like? There's so many different kinds of churches. There's Baptist. There's Methodist. There's Catholic. There's Presbyterian. There's Assemblies of God. There's, uh, you know, non-denominational or whatever, you know. But what should a church look like according to the Bible? Let me say this to you. I believe this will help you tonight. It's literally lined out in the next five verses, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, exactly what a church should be doing, what they should look like. It's not rocket scientists, it's science for us. How many know it's not like a mystery? We have to somehow figure out what we're supposed to do as believers. As a church, there's a lot of things people call a church today that do not measure up to this book at all. Can I just be honest with you? I mean, they're saying, oh, I just have church over here. We just do that. Let me tell you something. If, if you can't back it up with Scripture, it might be somebody's nice idea. It might even feel good to you. It's not a church. So what does a biblical church look like? Let me just give you a couple components here tonight. Number one, look at verse 42. It says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. So now the church is born in fire. They're born under the... the Holy Spirit is poured out in Acts chapter 2. But now what is the result of that? Well, it says that, let's look at it, Acts 42. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and, and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Praising God, having favor with all the people, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So every single day, people are being added to the church. How many know if that happened here? We'd have to add a few more purple seats, <laughs> right? Every single day. I mean, it's only seven days in a week. So groups of droves of people are being added to the church. Let me just say this really quick. If you do the math in the book of Acts, don't take my word for it. You do the research. Tell me what you find. But this has been proven again and again and again by theologians far superior to my intellect and wisdom through the word. Listen, Acts chapter 2, 3,000. Uh, Acts chapter 4, uh, 4,000. Uh, then 5,000. By the time you get, watch this, by the time you get to the end of the book of Acts, the 25-year mark, anybody want to take a guess how many people were in the church? No? Just hold that thought. I'll tell you at the end. First church. No lights. No camera. But lots of action. Lots of action. How many know actions speak louder than words? And so the first component that we see is that 
there's discipleship in the local church. They said they were devoted. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. What's that? The Word of God. How many know a church has got to be based on the Word of God? Not somebody's you know, motivational speech. The Word. Not somebody's opinion. Exactly right. The Word of God. I would say if you're not part of a Bible-based church where they teach out of this book, I would probably look for one place that does. Okay? Uh, and so... Um, and then secondly, in Acts 2.42, the second part of the verse says, and they were devoted to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and what? And prayer. Okay? And so fellowship. How many know what fellowship is? Okay. That's one form of it. <laughs> when I was a kid, I used to think fellowship meant um, we go to a fellowship hall. Anybody grew up in a church like that? It was in the church basement back then. They had like the old you know, folding metal chairs. The paint was all scratched off them, and, and they served... <laughs> Hard cookies and bad coffee, and they call it fellowship. <laughs> but fellowship is, is, is not just that. Fellowship actually means, has a lot of meanings, but it means sharing life together. Isn't that good? Watch this. One of them means like sharing communion, breaking of bread and, and of prayers, sharing Christ together. Isn't that cool? When's the last time you were able to sit down and really share Christ with someone. See that? Now, in this connotation, sharing Christ is not witnessing, but it's actually with fellow believers. So they're growing together. Can I tell you, in a church, there should be some form, whether it's small groups is one of the ways we fellowship here, some form of fellowship should be taking place. It's extremely biblical. The sharing of meals together. Some, some people do this with excellence. I've been to small groups. It's like a smorgasbord. I mean, you got to join Weight Watchers after six weeks of that, that smuggler right here, what I'm saying, okay? And so maybe they go a little overboard, but it's, you know, it's okay. But you see what I'm saying? It's, it's important, you know, it's that we have fellowship with, with each other, right? We do life together. It's not just say, oh, I'll see you maybe sometime in church. No, you want, you're in their lives. They're in yours, not in a nosy way, but in a, in a caring and a concerned way, you know? The Bible has 51 what we call one another commands. It goes like this, love one another. Serve one another, pray for one another, care for one another. It's a mutual ministry of the body functioning the way it should together. We're better together, amen? So we have discipleship, we have fellowship in there, and then, uh, and then in, in small groups and all that stuff. And then we have also, um, let me just say one thing about fellowship. I just felt like I need to say this. I'll tell you more about this on Sunday. I'm so excited about Sunday, but did you know that... Um, you probably heard this before, but I was reminded of this preparing for this weekend's message. Uh, uh, we're in the I Declare War series, and we're doing it in groups. It's awesome. It's winning the battle within four keys. We talked about our thoughts uh, two weeks ago. Last week, we talked about our words. This week, we'll talk about our actions. And um, did you know that they say that you're the sum total of the five closest people that you associate with in your life? Think about that. Every area. Every area. So that means uh, intellectually, you know, uh, the five people that you spend the most time with intellectually, you're going to be just like. And I, I used to like to say, uh, I don't know who coined this phrase, but years ago when I was doing youth ministry, I used to say, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Isn't that good? So, you know, who is it that you're connecting with? See, the, see how... Vital it is to have fellowship. 
right? With, some, with people that are going to help build you up and not tear you down. Thoughts, words, actions, okay? Um, intellectually, how about this one? Spiritually, you know, the five people that you're spending the most time with, are you the most spiritual one? If you are, it's time to enlarge in your circle, right? Spiritually, intellectually, um, financially. If all your friends are broke, you might want to phone a friend, okay? Make a new friend, all right? It makes sense to call financial advice. Somebody that's, you know, look, I, I don't claim to be a guru. It's kind of genius and stuff, but I have some friends that have done extremely well. And like when I, like I called one of them yesterday, I was like, wow, man, I got off the phone. I was like, I went from like wanting to lay down and take a nap at like six o'clock last night because I don't know if it was the weather or tired or a combination of everything, the weekend and stuff we're doing here. But uh, like he called me on the phone and he's like, hey, you got a minute? And I was like, mm, sh- shut that stupid news off. Yes. Tell me what's going on. I'm like walking around the house with the phone. Tell me what, what's God saying to you. And it was like, a, you know, good stuff. I can't divulge it right now. And it got me fired up. Why? Because the guy's way further up the rungs of the ladder than I am in that area. Does that make sense? Who are you associating with? It's called the law of association. Spiritually. I mean, who are you spending time with that's literally saying, come on, get up this ladder. Come on, get up here. This is a form of that. Amen? A small group is a form of that. Sunday morning is a form of that. So again, fellowship. I can't, it's not just a program. It's a, it's a lifestyle. And then, uh, you know, and then here we go. Uh, number three out of five is worship. Large group worship. Where do I get that from? Look at verse 46. Again, the five, per- they're lined right out in Scripture. What a church should look like. So continuing daily with one accord... That means unity in the temple. In the temple, what is the temple? The temple is the church. Don't let anybody tell you that they meet in churches. It's right there in black and white in your Bible. We want to do it like they did back in the Bible days. No, they're meeting in a temple. It says right there. Okay, don't let people tell you, oh, yeah, well, we got a church. We're just meeting homes and we just hang out with the Bible. Let me tell you, if it's just you and a couple of your friends sitting there with stretchy pants on and somebody's got the Bible, I don't care who tells you that you don't need to go to a church, they're in direct opposition of the words of Jesus. It may seem cool, it may seem trendy, it may scratch your itch. And the reason it's scratching your itch is because that's more fellowship. Small group, fellowship, large group, worship. Temple, courts, plural. Why? There was two of them. One on the east side of Jerusalem, one on the west side. Guess how many was in each location? I'll tell you at the end. (laughs) That's my hook, okay? Does it make sense? They met continually, consistently, watch this, faithfully, like every Sunday, in the house of God. I don't care if it's not uh, trendy or you've got some other things that are more important to you. We've got to get our family time in on Sunday. Let me tell you something, folks. What your family remember more than what sports activity that they played in, they're going to remember that you were committed to God. And the way you showed you were committed to God, you came to the house of God. Hello. It's not rocket science. It's literally right here in front of you in the Word. So what does a church look like? I'm just telling you what the Bible says. It don't matter if you agree with me, disagree with me. This is, this is what God is saying. This is what a church looks like. They meet on Sundays. 
When Paul wrote that in Hebrews 10.25, when he said, Forsake not yourself, the assembling together of the brethren, as we see the day of the Lord fastly approaching. What does that mean? That means literally they were meeting seven days a week in the house of God and in homes. Wow. Some of us, we can't even handle an hour. We're looking at our, wow, geez, let me see what's on my Instagram feed, you know. (laughs) You all right? I want to help you understand, you know. I don't want to be guilty when I stand before the Lord and that I didn't tell you the truth. This is what the truth is concerning your life. You've got to be committed somewhere. I've heard people, and there's another trend. I just go wherever. I go to all different churches as the Spirit leads. Let me tell you, that's not the Spirit. That's you. Or it's somebody who's influencing you in your circle of five. Somebody has got in your ears. Somebody that put a cute little post on. Has nothing to do with the Word of God at all. Zero. Find a house of God. Get rooted. Get grounded. Get fed there. A place that you can serve and be served. A place where you can love and be loved. Okay? And you'll grow there. You'll flourish there. Will there be seasons? Yeah. There's all kinds of seasons. But my commitment is to God and to His house. Amen? We learned this from the first church. So, again, continuing daily, we want to call the temple, breaking of bread, and then house to house. That's the small group, the fellowship aspect. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. And then here's the fourth one, evangelism. A church should be witnessing. Amen? Not just, yeah, pastor, you need to witness. No, you need to witness, okay? Sheep reproduce sheep. Amen? Does it make sense? We are called, we're commanded to be a witness. You shall receive power, Acts 1-8, after the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you shall be my what? Right. So this is this here, this is great. This is a form of discipleship tonight. See how they come under one of the five? This is a form of discipleship. This is a feeding aspect of the ministry. We're feeding right now in the Word. of feeding you guys like this. But witnessing, that's a whole different thing. That's what I've received, I share. That's why Paul said in Corinthians 11, you'll hear us say it at the communion table many times, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered unto you. See what he's saying? He's just bearing witness of what he's seen. You don't have to be a theologian, you don't have to be a pastor, you don't have to be a missionary, you don't have to be a prophet or an apostle or whatever. You just have to say, listen, you know what? I might not know all the Bible. I might not have all the answers, but I'll tell you what, this is who I was before Christ. This is what God has done for me. And here's how I'm living now after I've encountered the crucified one. Amen? It's the purpose of the church, evangelism. I don't think I have to speak long there because this church is actually a strength of this church is evangelism. I say that very humbly. I don't take any credit for that. I was told by a man who's a number two man in our district. He's, there are over 400 and some churches. He said, honestly, Terry, this is just a couple weeks ago. He said, when he called me up, he said, when I think of Peckville Church, he said, this is by far the number one church out of all 400 and some in Pennsylvania and Delaware, watch this, in this area of evangelism, reaching out to the community. And how many know witnessing comes in a lot of packages? Amen? But eventually, listen, eventually, it's not just doing good deeds. We should be doing good deeds. Like I've had people say all the time, you know, again, I'm not taking any credits. You guys will say, my God, a church does a lot of great things. Well, we should be doing good things. <laughs> We're a church. If a church can't help you, you shouldn't be a church. Amen? Then you're not fulfilling the, the mandate of Scripture, what a biblical church should look like. I mean, one of the five purposes, all five of them, it keeps us balanced, you know? And so evangelism, look at verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. 
And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And then lastly, I'll give you this, and then we'll, we'll close. Ministry. Ministry. Everybody say ministry. What is ministry? It's, it's finding my gifts, discovering my spiritual gifts, and then employing them, using them somewhere, right? Get involved somewhere. Now, I just want to say this. I think this will help. Just because, you know, they haven't asked you to sing in the, in the worship band, don't sit there with a chip on your shoulder because no one has invited you. Find a place to serve. Amen? Sometimes, one of the ways we find a place to serve, I had somebody tell me today over coffee, they don't attend here, they said, well, you know, I went to the church for a while, but I just, I like to do something. I don't just want to sit there. And I said, well, for goodness sakes, I'm not even going to tell you to come back to the church. Why don't you help us over at the pantry on Friday? Really? I don't have to come to church? I said, no. You know why that is? Because today, years ago, it was believe and then belong. You know what? People say the exact opposite today. They want to belong to something many times first, and then they'll believe. Does that make sense? So he's coming Friday to help in the pantry. I'm like, praise God. You know, he'll be back. Amen? But ministry, find, find somewhere to serve. Do something. Help park cars out there if you're a good driver. Uh, you know, <laughs> pass out bulletins, right? I mean, they, they need help in every area. Sometimes people come in this church on a Sunday, like, oh gosh, they don't need a guy like guy like me here. They got it all figured out. They got people raising their hands up there, praising the Lord, or they're saying the verses up on the screen, you know, and got, uh, the kids. No, listen, every area of this ministry is growing, and we need you to use your gifts for God. Not for Pastor Terry, for the master. Amen. Famous quote from the first lady of this house. You know what she says? I work for the master, not the pastor. Praise God. You got to pray for your pastor's wife. Amen. <laughs> pastor's wife appreciation. I don't know. Maybe something. <laughs> but see, and then the Bible says, last verse, verse 43, then, fear, then the fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done. Sorry, that's verse 43. Through the apostles. What is that? Signs, wonders, miracles. The moving of the Holy Spirit. Amen. That's what we need. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed that message. And if you did, take a photo of you listening and tag us on your social. Thanks again for joining us. We love you, God loves you, and may God's richest blessing be yours.